Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, I'm Elliot Moss. Jazz Shapers is where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. And our guest today, our very last business shaper of the season in 2020, is Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, inspired by traditional British leather school bags from years gone by. Self-proclaimed unlikely fashion entrepreneur, Julie Dean worked as a chartered accountant before returning to her university, Cambridge, to become the fellow for development for her college and the first female registry appointed to that role in its 650-year history. In 2007, Julie wanted to raise the money to move her eight-year-old daughter to a school where she'd thrive and be happy. And inspired by her own old school satchel, Julie came up with an idea to make traditional leather satchels for the schoolchildren of Cambridge. As she says, I've always been a great believer in thinking, what is the dream? And then I'll find a way to get there. Creating a mock-up from two old cereal boxes and building her own website using self-taught coding, Julie launched the Cambridge Satchel Company in a fortnight with just £600. The business is now a handmade-in-Britain worldwide phenomenon, employing more than 130 people and selling to over 100 countries. Julie is committed to preserving British manufacturing and despite enormous pressure to satisfy demand with an overseas production model, she's ensured that each stage in producing every bag sold has taken place on British soil. Hello. It's very Hello. nice to have you here with us. I must say, for the first time in our nine and a half or nine and three quarter year history, we are doing this over the internet. We are not in the same room, at least not physically. No, but we that's kind of cool. Line. We're on the line, down the on line, the I, line, on the line, and, and, I, and I've been listening over lockdown, like many people, to the brilliant Louis Theroux, and I always was amazed that he. He managed to do it seamlessly, except he didn't. What he did say was, okay, that went wrong, and we were off for an hour, and now we're back on. Now, of course, the truth is, Julie, we've had a few hiccups before we got here, but that's what makes life, life. Definitely none that I saw. None that you saw. You're so sweet. And, of course, for you, you came to your business to address a specific issue, which wasn't necessarily, I've got a burning, burning passion to become involved in the world of making bags. Exactly. And I, I think that that's what made it easier for me because um, it was easy to see what I was trying to do and what I needed to do. And that that was basically just make school fees so that my, my two kids could go to a really lovely school. And there were enough limiting factors on there. You know, I knew that I had a, a starting fund, seed capital, let's call it, £600, and I knew that I needed to make enough to send two children to a private school, which is really expensive, actually. Private schools are really expensive. And I can empathise. I'm empathising with you four times you know, over. And the length of the school summer holidays. And so when you put all those things together, apparently that's what qualifies um, in Google as a moonshot. But luckily I didn't know it was a moonshot because that sounds like something that's going to be really, really hard to do. And why the satchels? How did that, why the, why the cereal boxes? Why that versus some other madcap well, scheme? I have no shortage of madcap schemes up my sleeve, but I thought that I needed to just limit it to a list of 10 things I thought I could do to make school fees, which I did on an Excel spreadsheet because that's sort of the way that everything was 
was done. That's and, the way accountants um, think. They think through spreadsheets. Yeah, it's very easy because you've got columns and, and all mm. kinds of things. What were um, the other nine? Or well, give me a couple of them that, oh that my didn't gosh. make the cut. No, no way. Because if, if this all goes pear-shaped, you know, after this virus, <laughs> it, there's a book in the pipeline. So, um, And so it was, I need to make school fees. Let's have 10 ideas. And satchels were on there because I was really fed up of being dragged down to Sports Direct to get another kind of like school bag that often then either it would go out of favor, you know, high school musical, oh, I like it. No, I don't like it. I don't want it anymore. Or things with zips that don't last or they just don't last. And and my school bag, my school satchel was one of those brilliant things that you don't have to think about because it was just there every day for about nine years and it always just did what it was supposed to do. You are going to, I'm going to get one of the other ideas out of you before the end of the program. I've got to, it's my mission now. I'm going to, you're going to have to either throw me off with a lie or feed me something. But anyway, we'll come back to that. So when you started making something you'd never made before, how did you take it from the cereal boxes to actually first concept? How did you get someone to make it, I well, guess? Well, the, the trouble was in my head, and this is a recurring sort of issue that I seem to have, in my head, it was so clear. And so... When I would go at, and, and I'd, I'd go on the computer and, and find bag makers, leather makers, satchel makers, and, and go down the list and, and phone them all up, and then head to the world of artisan bag makers and, and these people, I'd go to see them and I'd say, I want to you know have school satchels to sell. And they'd start coming back with all these crazy things that clearly weren't school satchels. And in my head, it was so clear. And I was just wondering why they were being so purposefully difficult and coming up with, with things with pockets and fringes and which obviously they don't have and never had. And so I thought, ha, they won't be able to run these ridiculous things past me if I come with a prototype. You know, I've seen Dragon's Den. You need a prototype. And so luckily, a school satchel is, is a very easy thing to build out of cereal boxes and brown paper and a Sharpie to sort of draw on the buckles. But also and then I could I... present it and say, this is what it looks like. So they okay. know then they're not dealing with any kind of fool. But also, of course, the issue, and you've said this before, is that if it's relatively straightforward, then in theory, yeah. people can copy it and people try to copy it. And that's been a the intellectual property part of it has been an ongoing fight, hasn't it? I mean, you yeah, have to be it has. quite... It's, it's, it's been... Awful. I mean, from the point of view of there's been all kinds of different levels of, of copying from manufacturers copying and, and doing sort of ripoff versions right the way through to to the more sort of modern version of, of that, which are these people who pop up fake websites or, or fake domains. And we were used for the Google Chrome advert and the, the Chrome campaign. And after that, in that first year, we had to shut down 223 fake websites. And it was just astonishing, you know, people that would either um, copy our website or just have a website that was entirely different. But still, cheeky devils use our phone numbers. And so <laughs> our poor, you know, Jennifer answering the phone would be answering the phone and being given order numbers that were nothing like our order numbers and you know, alerts going on. And, and it's, a, yeah, that's a really, it's a tough one to, to handle that. And just in terms of distraction, and that's a distraction, 
and I imagine that you take this personally as well because it's your business. How do you keep focused on the bigger prize, which is running the business, when you've got, as you called them, the cheeky devils, which is you euphemistically being very polite about people essentially being criminal? How do you ensure that that doesn't upset you or distract you from building your business? I think the one that really, really upset me, I mean, massively upset me, was the manufacturer. You know, that was the one that was truly awful, the most, the most awful. And and that was because this was somebody that their business was failing and we'd been directed towards them to put business their way because I had a massive, massive backlog of of bags to make. And the lovely four manufacturers that I'd been dealing with um, and and was still dealing with once I, I took this large one on, I'd, I'd never had any problems. They're truly decent people. But the large one, the one that had potential to really take the, the backlog down was the one that I should have been less trusting of. And I think there, there is an issue when if you meet someone every week and look them in the eye and you sort of feel like you know them and you know that every bag they're making, they're making more from than you're making. You know, you don't fundamentally see that this is the person who's going to actually use the raw materials you're buying to to make copies and hide them in a lockup across the road. But that's what happened. And that's the one that I found you know, the the most upsetting. Well, the most upsetting because that might be a bit of an understatement. To put it into context, I had to go down and take out all of my leather. And that meant stepping away from this manufacturer when I had over 16,000 bags on backlog. And there was this this strange sort of position that I found myself in when I know that I can't work with someone I don't trust. Fundamentally, that's that's not right. Um, and there was a minute of sort of indecision of, oh my gosh, I'm taking this leather. I don't actually know where I'm putting it. I've got this enormous lorry outside that's, that's taking it. But it was made infinitely easier when he, he sort of turned to me and said, well, you know, you'll be back because you're just a, a stupid woman and you have no choice. And I thought, oh, that was the one that that, that did it. Uh, and so when when he left the building, I thought, well, there is part of, of what he said. You know, I, I'm not a stupid woman and uh, it's not true that I have no choice, but it is true that I don't know about manufacturing. And so I just had to explain to the people working for him that, you know, I was going to start my own factory, which which was news to me at the moment, you know, at that moment. It wasn't as you said something it. That, as as I said you said it, it you heard it was, the, the yeah, news. You, you were like the a, first to hear it. Well done. I, I was. It was a, a slightly out-of-body um, experience <laughs> as I sort of looked down and said, did I really just say I'm starting a factory with that much conviction and confidence? But that's what I, I had to do. Um, uh, but it wasn't in the plan. <laughs> Good, but then it became part of the plan. Then, that's yeah. What strategic vision is all about. Still it was to a find master out. stroke. It was a master stroke from Julie Dean, my business shape, and she's going to be back. Um, she's the founder of the Cambridge Satchel Company and is often the first to deliver news that she herself has not heard before, including setting up her own factory. And why not? Lots more coming up from her. But right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Dares, Tom Grogan, and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning their possible application and the key things for organizations to consider when seeking to implement them all light stuff and very easy to digest here we go the mishcon academy digital sessions 
conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How are we seeing organisations leverage their data and how can we help them? So AI, you know, the umbrella term artificial intelligence has been on the radar for most companies across all industries, but it's difficult for you to know exactly where to start. You often need help navigating the different technologies while having the confidence that they're going to maintain their legal and regulatory compliance, uh, you know, and upholding your company's digital ethics in some sense. When I teach uh, technology on the master's or the MBA program at UCL School of Management, I start by getting managers and executives to break the problem down. What are the inputs? What are the outputs? What data are you trying to collect? Where is it stored? One of the main management challenges is starting to think about these systems probabilistically. How wrong could the answer be? How frequently could you get the answer wrong? But still, on average, it provides utility. Most management education isn't really geared to this. And so starting to be able to think creatively is often useful in trying to identify where machine learning opportunities lie within your business. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows across 2020 all the way back to 2012. And by the way, next year is our 10th anniversary. But back to today's guest, Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, inspired by traditional British leather school bags from years gone by and the desire to pay school fees. Let's not we forget that. So this thing you said to me, I thought it was quite interesting. You said sometimes it's clear in my head, I've got the idea, and yet remarkably other people, they don't quite understand what I mean. Is that because you're very clever and sometimes you assume that other people understand what you understand or see what you see? And have you got better at helping them understand, realising that there may be an intelligence gap? Or is it something completely different? I think I've just got a slightly strange way of looking at things. And I honestly thought everybody had exactly the same way of looking at things. And so I just think, oh, that doesn't need any explanation or clarification. (laughs) And then somebody would go off and two days later come back, you know, looking pleased with something. And I think, why would you do that? You know, what what even is that? Um, And and so I think this is the thing that Cambridge Satchel grew in those early years very, very quickly and efficiently because it was me and my my mum who's very used to me. And so things were just approached in a a non-traditional and very efficient, just get on with it kind of way that as businesses grow and scale, you find there are accepted ways of doing things, which sometimes, you know, honestly don't make sense. And have you managed to find people who over the years have better understood that there will be a different approach, that that the world through your eyes is just a different world and actually seems to be quite successful. Um, I've got better at interviewing people because there was a sort of a period where I, I just look at things and think, gosh, they, they've been doing that for an awfully long time and in a really, really big place and they've got great references, therefore they must be fine and I just don't know enough about that. And now I realise that it's more a case of I know about Cambridge Satchel more than anybody else. Is this person going to get on with rolling their sleeves up and and not making a fuss about things? 
is that the main criteria in the interview? It's like that. Is it about the rolling the sleeves up and realizing that even if they've had 10 years experience in a big company doing yes, it a certain way? Yes, because can... 10 years ago, everything was done so differently. Hmm. You know, and so much of people's experience isn't actually going to be relevant right now. And, you know, we would, we would have some very sort of well-paid tech people. And you think, well, stop trying to, to make things so difficult. I don't actually need scrum masters and sprints. If I can do something better and faster by just downloading an app for $1.99 and you're going to go off on some project that takes months and involve, you know, a, a strange number of people in Estonia and then present me with something that isn't as good as my $1.99 app, then that's just annoying. What do you do when you're annoyed? You don't strike me as a person that gets annoyed very easily, actually. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I do get annoyed that easily. I do get frustrated, but, you know, I can, um, I'm, I'm usually quite easy to, to get around. But, but I am very, very stubborn. And maybe I didn't communicate something properly in the first instance, but that doesn't mean that the end result is going to be changed in any way. Oh, did you hear that? There's a bit of steeliness coming in right bit in there. Bit of steel. Oh, bit of steel, bit of steel from, from Julie Dean's my business <laughs> shaper. She's the steely one who's the founder of the Cambridge Satchel CEO too. So much of business and so much of leadership is about understanding people, joking aside, and and it's about reading people. And it's about them knowing you as the boss and that you're, you may be stubborn and frustrated at some points, but you can be, I imagine, also very rational. What is that leadership style that you tend to adopt and has it changed over time? Because obviously now, as you alluded to earlier, this is a scaled up business. This is not a business on the kitchen table anymore. This is a business which is affecting over 100 people. So talk to me a little bit about that leadership style. I think obviously it did have to change because um, it was my mum for the first year and a half and then, and then people coming on. What I was able to do and what enabled us to, to grow very quickly was I could, in the early days, employ some absolutely wonderful people by being willing to not insist they were at their desks before nine and remain there until after five. And so there was that whole kind of workforce of, of very talented and skilled women, usually, that wanted to drop their children off at school and pick them up at the end of the day. And if you were willing to accommodate that, then um, they would they would come and, and be absolutely fantastic. And and so that was that was a great resource and, and very, very flexible. I think that the important thing for me is I, I do like to understand the people that are working for Cambridge Satchel. And I feel like I know all of them, you know, and... I do tend to maybe just go outside and do a lot of meetings outside, but that's just, I like that. The Orchard Tea Rooms, they sort of know us quite well, I think, because we've got lots of, of team meetings sitting in deck chairs with a piece of cake and a cup of tea and mulling over what the next move is. Because there's no reason why, why you can't do it that way. And was that pre-COVID or was this during, during COVID? That's what you've, you've been doing? No, that was very much pre and um, at the moment, our, our main office is only open a day a week. And sometimes I'll go down to the workshops in Syston, just outside Leicester. And there's enough space there where everybody can be miles apart from everybody else. And so, so that's worked out reasonably well. We can still get stuff done and feel like um, we are still, you know, in, enjoying each other's company. 
And in terms of the business over over the last six nine months, how's it fared? Oh, it's. I think we started seeing some some real issues in January because a lot of our customers we we have shops in in London, Cambridge, Oxford, Bicester, and Edinburgh, and a lot of those were in tourist areas. And you know, Edinburgh we really were very popular with American tourists and. In Cambridge, it tended more to be sort of Asian tourists there. But we could certainly see, you know, that people weren't traveling. And so the the shops were hit a lot earlier than they were hit when, obviously, they needed to close the doors. Online, we had intended having a new website from um, the summertime. I wish that we'd done that before we'd done some of the stuff with the shops, but, you know, hindsight and all that. But um, it's been interesting seeing how when people are furloughed, we we had to go down to such a tiny, tiny skeleton team, but we could get things done again very, very quickly with those those teams because they did tend to be people that I saw an awful lot and, and chatted to and, you know, messaged. And, and so things were, were pretty efficient. And it did give us that opportunity to to take a look at the business and think, um, what do we want the business to look like coming out of this? You know, how do we prepare for that? Because it's it's not going to be the same as the business going into it. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today. It's Julie Dean. And plus, we'll be playing a track from Lionel Lueke. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Lionel Lueke with Rocket. Julie Dean is my business shaper here on the last Jazz Shapers of the season in 2020, the last of a very strange year, and the first virtual one, which I mentioned earlier, I mentioned a couple of times. Your business is much bigger than it was when you said, I've got to get some money in, and it's a real business now, as opposed to the madcap one of 10 on the spreadsheet. What are the challenges now for you that you worry about the most in terms of this business maintaining its integrity, maintaining its quality, maintaining its sense of pride in being a British manufacturing story and so on. Are there things that are specific to the current situation that have changed fundamentally how you see the future? I think that I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, as we've all seen people lose their jobs and, and companies and businesses close, you know, that we don't take as much for granted that everything just trundles along. And so I am hopeful that people will start to to think, oh, British manufacturing, that's something I want to support. You know, that is actually important. And we do need to have all sectors up and running in the country and not become too reliant on one thing, whether it be tourism or financial services or because, you know, we're, we're having the virus, but we're, we're also, you know, Brexit and all kinds of uncertainties. Things can change in a way that we, we wouldn't have ever thought possible before. And so we, we do need to have a good diversity so that we have strength in that. And I think that people are taking that bit more time to think, who is it that I'm buying for and researching online the history of some of these um, these brands. And I, I know for myself, I've discovered some great little gems of brands that I would never have discovered before. 
has it given you time to reflect? The flip side of this is actually, you mentioned wistfully, if we'd have invested more digitally rather than the shops, the physical space, that would have held us in good stead. Obviously, people have got very quickly much more comfortable buying stuff online that they previously would have liked to have felt, you know, been tactile with. Has it been nice in a weird way or have you found it a struggle in this lockdown from no, a, from, a, from a leadership point of view as well? I think that... Um it's been a real eye-opener. You know, it's been an eye-opener how much you can get done very, very quickly when things are paired right back. I think it's also been nice to, in some way, feel like you've been given permission to make some really big changes. You know, let's look at things and think, do we still like the logo? Do we still like all of the bag styles that that we've grown over the years? And and the answer with some of those things is no, we're ready for a refresh. So what better time to do a refresh than right now? You know, what what better time to feel as bold as we were in the early days? And and I think that there was a period when we were trying to do too many things to just um, appeal to everyone. And when you do that, you just become a little less interesting, you know, and so... It, to come back to this thought of what do you most want? And, and for me, what I would love most is for the Cambridge Satchel Company to be the place that the world's most interesting people go to for their bags because they care enough about the history of the bag they're, they're buying. They care about where it's made and how it's made and what we use to make it. And so in my mind, the way I think about interesting people it's those people who who really love what they're doing. It's not the world's most interesting people. Oh, they're, they're the ones that get paid the most or, or they're the ones that have most social followers or, you know, all of, all of that kind of thing. It's those people that you look at and you think, oh, I've got the measure of you. And then after five minutes, you think, wow, you're, you're doing these incredible things that I'd never, ever have imagined, whether it's an interest or a hobby or their job, or, or something else that they choose to do, and those those are the people that I I really really love and would most like to think we make bags for. I like that, and that's a lovely way to end. Before I ask you one more question, and and if people are very perceptive, you may have heard a little doggy getting uh, from its perch. Who, which which one no, was that? You heard two enormous dogs suddenly wake up and start sniffing around, thinking. Gosh, we've been really quiet and good for long enough. So, so, <laughs> so Barnaby, it's time to really start stretching and walking about. <laughs> well, just before they go crazy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been lovely chatting to you, even through a screen. Let me know your song choice and why you've chosen it. Okay, so I go back um, to that moment when I was in the factory with that manufacturer, having realised um, the the horrible things he was up to. And I would like to think that in some small way, I could be that Aretha Franklin character in the Blues Brothers, when in the diner, she really sets a stall out and shouts, think. So think is my song. That was Aretha Franklin with the iconic think, the song choice of my business shaper today, Julie Dean. A fundamentally different way of looking at the world is how she described herself understanding that flexibility is important for her workforce of mainly women. 
a passion for British manufacturing, which is wonderful to hear and important to uphold. And the big lesson from the pandemic for her was to rediscover the boldness and to be comfortable with refreshing the business and the brand. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Be well, be safe, and we'll see you in the new year. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.